to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns? Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Hello, everybody. It's Dyson Jackson. I'm Tom Allen. Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 250. Two days in a row so far. As it features up 21.75. Um, so, we're kind of a. We, we were up and down. We tried to be up yesterday all day, but it kept dipping and then coming back. So it finally finished up. So I guess after two days of losses, that was somewhat positive for people that are long. Today we'd sure like to make it two days in a row if you're long. We'll see if that happens. Do we have uh, Mr. Lou? Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm uh, good. We're uh, we're still uh, got about five or six inches of snow on the ground here in Denver, which is unusual for it to last this long. And... Uh, we're, uh, we're getting some decent temperatures here, but uh, they're uh, they're happy up in the ski areas. I think we're like at 170 percent of the annual or normal snowpack up there this year. So it's uh, it's a good skiing uh, good skiing season. Are they going to start having uh, reservoirs overflowing in California? Um, yeah, well, <laughs> if they uh, they're not careful, they will. Um, it's I don't know how much of that moisture is making it its way into the um, you know the Lake Mead. Uh, Big Powell watershed uh, or the Colorado River watershed. Uh, we're getting we're getting some of it, but um, yeah, there we, we need that that water is down so far. Um, I was talking about the California a lot more. <clears throat> I was talking about the California reservoirs. Those got to be uh, at the top. I you know I don't I don't know. I was I, I saw a report on this. The Oroville Dam, which is in Northern California, which is where a lot of this rain has been coming in is still way down um it's they, they were projecting that it was going to go to i think 80 percent or 85 percent capacity over the next couple of days as all that water comes down from the mountains into uh into the rivers but um it, you know it's still it's still down it's still down a ways well we're supposed to get another uh, round this week and then next week and whatever so we'll see then this yeah, happen about it, it, it it's kind of silly California needed, desperately needs to upgrade its water storage capability, and they just simply haven't haven't done so because of environmental issues or environmental lawsuits. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're really issues, and and they just they just haven't built new dams, they haven't built new aqueducts. They they've got, you know, they've they've obviously are in this drought, um, you know, monsoon cycle that's been going on since since I lived there in the seventies. And and they just, you know, they obviously need more water storage, um, and, and they're not they're not doing it. So I, you know, I don't know what I don't know what to tell them. You know, they 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 want Colorado uh, River water because they they won't build the storage capacity for their own, uh, you know, to take advantage of their own climate, you know, climate change elements. So I don't know what to tell them. Well, I don't know about about. Uh, well, I'm not going to get into a, a climate change thing, but. I think those guys have had problems since the guy who's the, the the civil engineering genius that originally built all the storage areas in the LA area. <clears throat> I mean, that yeah. guy, uh, I mean, he, he's, right. he's like uh, you know in the, in the civil engineering hall of fame, and 
you know, but they keep adding people. The last year, I guess they lost some people, but you know, it's at some point you just. Uh, well, it's, it's not cheap. It's, it's not. It's. I mean, the people are sort of the icing on the cake. The real, you know, the real water use issue there is agriculture. They've they turned the southern the southern desert, an area that was traditionally a, a very dry, arid area. They've turned that into a you know a an agricultural br- uh, breadbasket, a cornucopia, and and it's great. They produce a lot of stuff there, but they have to put water into that system. I mean, but look at just almond farming, for example, takes tremendous amounts of water and and they have not again this is their you know economy it's their you know their their dollars they're reaping the benefit out of it but they are not doing the have not done the the hydrological support structure that they need to keep that going and when I said climate change I just meant we're it, it, it has been a boom and bust there ever since I can remember. Uh, when I say climate change, I, I just mean it's the, the rains. The rains seem to be coming in with a little more frequency. Well, it has been. I mean, it rains from January to March, and then it doesn't rain again until next November. I mean, yeah. it's it's been like that yeah. since since whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, when I was when I was going through flight school out there, uh, they were in the middle of one of the drought cycles. And everybody was, was screaming about, you know, we're running out of water, and Oroville's down, and Folsom Reservoir's down, and everything, you know, everything's going to hell. And, and then, you know, two years later, the reservoirs were, were overflowing. And, and that's, that's just the way it's always been there. And well, the only thing you, you, you did mention, uh, the Colorado did create, Colorado River, the Hoover Dam created the Imperial Valley, which is an incredible amount of agriculture in there. That's, yes. a, that's a Colorado River feed, not a... Not a Sierra Nevada feed. No, it, it is. It's it's coming. It's coming off. It's coming off the uh, coming off the snowpack here and in uh, in Utah. And and it's the short answer is that you know we're we're benefiting from these this Pineapple Express, which what they call that series of storms. We're, we're benefiting off that Pineapple Express residue punching its way across across the mountains, but. Um, you know, we we've got our own we got our own water demands here. Did you ever see uh, pictures? If you have ever uh, gone and either watched, well, you can get the tape now. We used to. First time I watched it, I was in Boulder City when I went down to see Hoover Dam. The picture of uh, before they built the dam, there was a, this incredible flood down there that I think flooded the entire Imperial Valley. But they had a picture of the water flowing through where is now Hoover Dam is. The water piling through there was something like you wouldn't believe. It was like some huge snow year and everything else, and the water just came flying down from uh, Colorado and Utah and just went went through there, through the you know the Grand Canyon and into that area. Which, which such it was like you know it's like twenty five hundred cubic feet a second or some incredible some incredible number. It was just and they showed pictures of it. It, it looked like looked like something you'd see if a dam broke, for God's sake. You know, it was well, a yeah, and, and that's, I mean, the Mississippi was the same way. That's that's why they, they started regulating it, because they wanted, they needed it for commerce, and they needed they needed a predictable flow of water. Um, it, and it makes it makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, we use it for hydro, we use it for, for hydropower generation, we use it for, ag- for uh, agriculture, we use it to support people. But they, they've got to come to grips the, the people in Arizona, the people in California, 
have got to come to grips with the fact that that, that that water supply is simply not, you know, it's not consistent enough, and and they need to, we need to take additional steps to to secure it. And one of the ways is building, upgrading the reservoirs in California to take advantage of, of what's coming directly in off the coast, uh, and and similarly some kind of water storage or or uh, water generation capacity for Arizona and I assume New Mexico eventually. Well, the, the one that, in Arizona, I used to go out there every year. We had clients out there and we had all kinds of stuff, but uh, the Teddy Roosevelt Dam was the, the, the river that now I think is filled up a little bit for recreation, but there's a river that runs through uh, Phoenix, I forget the name of it, uh, for years it was supposed to be dry, and all the bridges and the railroad bridges just ran on this like, rocky little valley that like used to be a river. And because uh, the Teddy Roosevelt Dam, especially, you know, was going to save all the water up in the mountains. And uh, it was only a hundred-year storm where any water was going to have to be let out of the reservoir and actually fill the river up. I think I went there ten years in a row, Lou, and I bet the thing was, there was water in the river like three or four times. <laughs> you know, one, one time it was going through so fast that they actually had damage of some of the bridges because they weren't used to having the water there. And uh, so yeah. now, now I think there's a little water there, like, all the time, so you can kayak and, hell, it looks much nicer with, with some water in there. But it's there for uh, recreational purposes. But, I mean, that, that dam was built, well, hence the name Teddy Roosevelt. How long ago was that, for God's sake? And, and, it, and it constantly leaks. I mean, I mean, I mean it, you know, it leaks a little. All, virtually all dams, except Hoover Dam, like, leak a little, some. Uh, they're actually supposed to, I think. But, hey, uh, what is going on in the House of Representatives? And I have a question I asked a couple of my uh, attorney buddies last night. Why, why can't the Democrats just piss the Republicans off and lob 20 votes at McCarthy and get it done? Um, well, well that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, what's happened, obviously, is you need 218 votes to, to see the Speaker. The Republicans have 222 votes, but uh, there are 20 or so never Kevin McCarthy types who are not going to support him for Speaker of the House under any circumstances because of what they view as um, disloyal conduct to to their agenda and they are now in the process of trying to extract uh, whatever concessions they can and in an effort to try to force their their guy to, to you know force a guy into their guy into the into the spot. Uh, they've nominated at least one person who didn't want the job, um, and, and you know that's Jordan. And uh, so we'll we'll see we'll see how this plays out. Um, the the uh, there procedurally there are two two ways the Democrats could can get this. They could have and, and at least one of these these Republican congressmen has said, you know. They're part of the Goddard, what I call the Goddard banner and wind of the of the party, which is we don't care if we blow the whole thing up. In fact, we prefer to, you know, we don't get our way. Um, this one of these guys has said, "Look, I'll take I'll take a Democratic leader, a uh, Speaker of the House, and let's have a Democratic agenda again because we can oppose that." Which which I I look at and go, all you want to do is is oppose. You're not interested in actually building something or doing something, um, but but here's how this works: if, if the Democrats have secured 213 votes for their guy, 
and then those are those are consistent votes. They're always coming in. So he's five votes short. If if five Republicans swing uh, to to vote for him, then you're going to have a Democratic Speaker of the House controlling controlling the agenda. If even though he still doesn't have the votes, he has to he has to deal with Republicans right, for the votes. Right. Well, as I understand it, you could be elected Speaker of the House. You don't have to be a sitting congressman. Um, you could, you or I could be elected speaker if there were enough people that wanted to vote for us. Um, so the other way that this could go, go south that I that I, I looked at last night is if a number of Republicans declare this simply vote present instead of voting for or against somebody. If they vote present, they drop the number of votes required for confirmation. So let's say and I can't remember how many it is that has to do that have to do that. I think it's I think it's if all twenty of those guys were present, the number of votes required for confirmation would drop. And but it would drop so so it would drop over the two eighteen. The minute it drops to two thirteen, the the Democratic guy wins. And because the Republican nominee, McCarthy, will never get that many votes. But he he'll win. But every time he comes up with a with a vote, he's got votes against him. Yeah, but he controls. But but you would have you would have effectively a a house that could would, it would be very hard to get things done or impossible to get things done in the house, even more so than it is now. He would if he could, for example, as speaker, block bills from coming to the floor. He could completely shut down any kind of agenda that the Republicans wanted to put forward. He he can you know control legislation effectively. And and so that you know, with his party behind him, that would that would shut down any chance of Republicans being able to advance any kind of an agenda for the next few years. Well, I uh, I don't mean I, I probably I don't. Mean, and, and let, 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 let's make sure we're clear on this. There are a number of these Republican Goddardamerons who would be just fine with that. They they hate the Republican Party. They hate the they hate the the federal system. They, they hate the way the government is, is running. They would prefer to completely shut down all of government if they could. Okay. So at, least uh, they, at least that's what they've said. I would... Uh, I, I'll, how can I say this? Without, without, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, if you listed the ten things that group is for, I'm sure I would be opposed to nine of them, okay, without even knowing what they are. But that's either here or there, but one thing we have been talking about, you and several of the other guests, and, and me, I won't say it's a theme, but it's that the House of Representatives has become this, I don't know, top-heavy authorita- authoritarian sort of thing, where if I was part of this group or any group that had some feelings about anything, I, if the only time you're going to be heard is like right now. Because, oh, I know. Because I, I understand what they're doing. I, it the question is, how long do you continue this temper tantrum, and 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 how long? Uh, the essence, the essence of our system, is is compromised. It's one of the reasons why I had no interest in ever going into politics, and and notwithstanding notwithstanding some pushes to to do so when I was young, it's one of the reasons I had no no interest in going into it. The the essence is compromised. I, I understand I understand their anger and frustration with the leadership. I understand their position that 
all of this is bad. This is all part of the swamp. We, we need to tear it down to the extent we can. I get it. But the short answer is, you are in the minority. You may feel that way very passionately, but you're in the minority. So in order to get something done, you're going to have to compromise those those beliefs and work with the people you've got. In well, you, you, have, you have to be careful. You have to be careful that it isn't five wolves in one hand voting to what voting to what exactly. they have for breakfast. You know, and I, I don't. I mean, I, agree. I, I mean, I just, I don't. I, I don't know what their their bitch really is. To be honest, uh, up and down. I, I understand they're from the right the rightest wing part of the party, whatever that means. But I, I would have if I if it was me that was elected. I tell you what, um, especially when well, we had Keith Peacock, you know, and, and he's a he's mayor of Nor- uh, New Orleans, Orland Park, and he uh, uh, he narrowly lost his first time running against a Democrat was an incumbent, so he did a pretty darn good actually. Uh, but now the, the man's fifty two ish, fifty three ish. He's been a mayor. He's a vet. He's had, I think he's had a successful business. He's a pretty serious guy. I I don't necessarily, if I was him or me or you, I'm not going to show up there and and be told for the next ten years I'm the the ass end of the agriculture committee, and that, that everybody else is way senior to me. Hey, screw that. You know, there's there's 435 people who've all been elected for two years. That sounds pretty equal to me. I mean, I'm not saying a person here who's been on a committee. For five years, shouldn't be the chairman instead of me. My first year, but they've taken this way too far, Lou. And uh, you know, I, I, I listen. A lot of these people are are again are libertarians. They are populists. They they understand or, or believe that the federal government has abandoned uh, virtually everyone except those who are not affiliated with certain special interests. They they. By the way, they're not wrong on that. They're not wrong on that. I know. No, yeah. I understand. I, this is why I'm saying you, you. I think you would have a lot of agreement with with the sort of the fundamental, the fundamental beliefs of these people. They they look at Congress's inability to do things on basic, you know, legal uh, responsibilities like like the border, or or entitlements, or voting reform, or whatever, and they say, you know, you're, you're not worth, you're not worked worth working with. On these issues, you've tried. You've had the chance to fix it over and over again. You are not interested in fixing it because the people not interested in fixing it, and and you're 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 too much you're too much in the pocket of a cocktail party set here in D.C. who who you know uh, ostensibly belong to one party or the other, but are are all in the hip pockets of the people who are your major donors. Um, I, I understand these positions. The 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 point is that the power structure is such that you 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 want to shake things up, but you're you're not going to have you're not going to have the ability to do so unless you at least play ball with some of us. Well, you got to move to you got to move to a different spot in the room. You got to move to a different spot in the room, but we're not going to allow McCarthy to to be seated. You're going to have to come up with somebody else, and that's that's our first you know that's our first you know bit of leverage. Well, I think somewhere along the line, he's going to have to cough up a committee chair or something of a real committee to one of these people. I, I think I think they're going to I think they're going to block him, Chief. I think they're not going to they're not going to let him in. This, <clears throat> by the way, 
I look at this as the natural outgrowth of the failure of establishment Republicans to properly prepare for the midterms. I, I'm, I'm one of those people who believes that the polling data was basically accurate. That, in fact, Biden should have lost 25 seats in the House of Representatives, and he should have lost the Senate. The, the reason he didn't is because of the ballot harvesting and voting effort that the DNC put together to collect and target you know, ballots and money in specific races. And, and the RNC and the Republican leadership bumbled their way through this. And, and that, that's why the, I, I have no reason to believe the polls weren't, the polls weren't accurate, but the, but the, except for the voting. And, and we know that there were, there were significant voting irregularities and, and the ballot harvesting that's been going on that well, we saw first in 2021 on there. And if you don't do this kind of stuff, if you're incompetent at the basic function of getting the vote out and putting decent candidates out there, then you end up with these razor-thin majorities, and in a razor-thin majority, you give a disproportionate amount of power to the crazies. And that's what they've done. Well, it's funny. There was a a moderate Republican. <coughs> I forget his name. He was in Face the Nation, and he's been in Congress forever. He'd know, he'd know the name if I, of course, could remember it. Uh, and he was saying sort of the same thing you said, but he wasn't placing the blame on the Democrats. He said, he goes, this, the primary system, he goes, we have, we have managed to, because, you know, maybe 20 or 30 percent of the people show up to vote, he said, we've managed to elect <clears throat> in the primaries. He goes, we should have eas- easily had the House and pretty easily had the Senate. So he's Senate. So he's right with Mr. Lou. And he goes, we have, he says, we have 25 people maybe running that are totally unelectable, that just are, are, are the nut jobs at a 20%. He goes, there's in no the normal, Who in the normal year with a, with a yeah, are, are, are unelectable. Well, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, Herschel Walker, I, I, I know him personally, you know, great guy, but he's not a Senate candidate. I understand why he got nominated, because he had name recognition, but I had, I had a friend of mine in that race, in the primary, smart, you know, self-made millionaire, businessman, um, you know, minority, and, and he, he got like, I don't know, 10% of the vote? Uh, friends friends and family. Condition. Friends and family, probably. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, this is, this is all part, this is all part of the, of, of the issue, and, and again, I, I turn this back to, you know, the Republican National Committee, and, and the Republican, you know, Republican Party leadership. I, I, I have bashed them repeatedly for basic failures, like the failure to deal with Obamacare. With the, the failure to deal with with uh, the uh, uh, Dobbs decision and, and the fallout from that, the the Republican leadership, you know, campaigns on a no camp on a no kind of basis. You know, we're against all of this. Okay, fine. You know, you you finally get what you want, and and you're like you're like the dog chasing the car. You know, when you catch it, what are you going to do? They don't know. You know, the, the, there, there was no, they, they railed against Obamacare for, for six years. They finally get control of both the House, the Senate, and the presidency 
is there an alternative ready to be voted on for for that health? Well, this is this is not new. Uh, <clears throat> Louis, we had we had uh, <clears throat> I don't know I don't always never called that, but we had a uh, we had Hillary Care, right? It went, yes. went down in flames. The proposal, yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say, probably, if I remember any of it, or if, I was, if it was still around somewhere I could read through, might have been a better solution than Obamacare. So the Republican response, when that went down in flames, when ev- everybody would announce the brains, knew that the, med- the uh, medical system was in trouble, whatever hell year that was, the, the Bush administration, for eight years, never touched it, never even went down that road, never even had any sort of solution. I know, but that, but my and Hillary Care was not a principal campaign point for Bush. It was for the Republican leader. Obamacare was for the Republican leader leadership after it passed. It was a terrible statute. It had unconstitutional aspects to it. It should never have survived Supreme Court review, except for Roberts, who, who just flip flopped on open, you know, what was. Well, there's certain aspects of it with a tax or a penalty. And, you know, okay, fine. You have this system. They they were able to pass one small piece of legislation, eliminate the mandatory uh, the, the uh, mandatory insurance requirement. But, but you know, that, that was a piecemeal thing. Rather than having a comprehensive program ready to go, that's six. Doggone years to prepare. What were they doing? Well, Lou, any, any, we got to dash here, but any any attempt to, to fix it has to go right to the providers and the drug companies, and nobody's going to do that, especially Republicans. SP Futures up 550, NASDAQ Futures up 26. That's where all the money's going, for God's sake. We'll be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The Control Freaks Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck, get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day to day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona.
Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now. Hello, more back stocks and jacks. I'm Tomorrow Andrew on the board. SP futures up 775. We're trying to stay positive here. NASDAQ futures up 34. Dow futures up 14. Individual stocks in the Dow. We got American Express down 222. We got Amgen up 161. Apple up 97 cents after getting whacked the other day. Uh, what was our Tesla doing today? It's up 87 cents. So it's down 16 bucks in one day, and it's up like a couple yesterday and one today. It's kind of a dead cat bounce, but at least it's not going well, or at least. Not, not at this moment. Over in Asia, we've got the uh, Nikkei up 103. It's 0.4%. The Hang Seng up another 259. 1.2%. 21,000. thing is up 50% in like eight weeks. That's an amazing deal going on over there. Shanghai up 31. That's a full 1%. Everybody's talking about investing in China, investing in China. I don't know. I can't. I could never do that. Um, anyway, but that's what everybody's talking about. Uh, DAX down 12, uh, it's 0.1%. FTSE up 39.5%. Kick around up 8.1%. So generally up. FTSE is the only one that's up, and it was a laggard yesterday. So it's kind of, they're, they're sort of catching up. Uh, as a way of review, yesterday we were up, up. Dow up 133, S&P up 28, NASDAQ up 71. The Dow and the NASDAQ not up near as much as they were down the other day, but the S&P had a nice performance. Uh, bonds. Uh, down one basis point, 3.69. Bund on change at 2.29. Japan uh, down three basis points to 0.43. We've got oil up a buck 66, 74.50, soon lower near 80. Uh, Brent up a dollar 80 to 79.64. They are also under 80. Natural gas down a penny below four bucks, 3.99. Wow. Our Bob up four cents, 2.30. We've got gold after a big run up yesterday, down 7.40 today, but still over 18.50, 18.51. Silver down 37 cents, 23.59. For some reason. The last few days, gold has been up. Silver has not. Uh, copper up nine cents, uh, three eighty-two. We've got Bitcoin up seventeen bucks, but still really stuck in the sixteen-eight range between sixteen-five and seventeen thousand now for quite a while. And we have the U.S. dollar uh, kind of mixed. It's uh, it's down a hair to the to the to the euro, which is still one oh six, and the pound is still one twenty. So they were locked in on those numbers now for quite a while. Andrew, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports, kind of crummy out. Yeah, not too good of a day. It is uh, 6.36 here in Chicago on uh, January 5th, almost at December there for a minute. 
Um, but yeah, starting off with sports, uh, Sunday, the Bears are going to be playing the Vikings at 12 p.m. And last night, the Bulls went over the Nets, ending their game 121-112. to But the Suns lost to the Cavaliers, ending their game just 90-88. to uh, and tonight, we look forward to the Coyotes playing the Flyers. Uh, now over to weather. Yep, in Chicago, it is at 33 uh, degrees today. Cloudy, only going to have a high of 34 and a low of 31, so going to be pretty consistent. Uh, over in Phoenix, however, a lot nicer. Uh, 47 degrees, clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 68. And now finally for Chicago traffic, uh, got some early accidents on the expressways today. Um, an accident on the inbound Eisenhower near US-12. Uh, is blocking two left lanes and causing delays all the way from about one one uh, sorry I two ninety to Harlem Ave, and an accident on the Jane Adams is causing uh, a bit lesser delays near Harlem Avenue up there. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. So, Lou, uh, I was uh, uh, talking to a couple of uh, your outfit last night, attorneys and a judge or two, and we were talking about this uh, fiasco in Illinois with this. Uh, Whatever this act is called, the uh, one that takes the gets rid of the cash bail, and the uh, Supreme Court has said it's unconstitutional, but they're going to have a hearing on it. And these guys are convinced that it's <clears throat> it's absolutely unconstitutional about eight different reasons. Um, that the uh, they said he's well, well, the one judge was saying that it, somewhere in the Constitution, every bill has to have they got some the, the speaker's got to call for it three times. And he goes, they didn't even do that right, but evidently. There's in the Constitution. There's supposed to be one, you know, one reason, one bill, and this thing has got about 30 reasons in it. It's way too long. It's, um, it also that the cash bail piece evidently is in the Constitution, and in order for it to change, it has to, there has to be an amendment. It can't just be a bill passed. <clears throat> they they, they had kind of a list of stuff, and uh, does that mean Pritzker's going to lose his battle? or Is he going to win? I was I was actually astounded to see the Illinois Supreme Court freeze that statute, um, but I was also astounded that the Illinois, you know, the Illinois legislature was stupid enough to pass it. Um, so I, I mean, generally, when your state Supreme Court suspends the uh, the enactment of a statute like this, that's a pretty strong indicator that. It's the the law is ultimately not going to pass muster with them. I mean, they for them for them to intervene in something like this, they see something really wrong with it, and and they're they're going to they're putting the brakes on now, even before it gets passed, even before there are you know the challenges have worked their ways all they work their way all the way up through the courts. Um, they, they they put a preliminary stop on it, and and then you know we'll take we'll take full briefing on it. I, I think. I think you're probably looking at a foregone conclusion that the thing's not going to survive court. Uh, court well, it's 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 really a, a political hot potato because it it was it's I'm going to say it's a, a very high percentage driven by the Black Caucus and the 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 original fiasco was that the the, uh, the attorneys general from a whole bunch of the counties. Um, essentially filed suit against it, like 16 counties or something, or 20, and the judge in one of those counties said that they're right. Yeah. But then the people in the other counties, the Tony Preckwinkles of the world, said, we're going ahead with it. So there's this, 
it, it's really it's a it's a racial divide on this thing to a dramatic extent. And uh, well, that that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. We no. we've talked we've talked before about the um, efforts to try to stem basic gun violence by by locking people up uh, for for the use of guns in uh, in crimes or illegal possession of guns and adding kickers to those sentences. And and the as I this, the story that that you and I talked about before was when Rahm Emanuel tried to do that. The the black caucus of of Alderman in Chicago came to him and said, "If you support this, we're we're pulling the plug because all it's going to mean is more young black men in jail and and for a longer time." And uh, you know, Emanuel tried to make the point with them, but that's who's doing the shooting. That's where our violence is. That's the, that's the violence in your communities. It's it's young black males who comprise a tremendous percentage of of the shooters and the murders and the murder victims. So so that's where we're going with this. We can't we can't stop the flow of guns. We're not we're not our, our stat we're not prepared to do it. And and the statutory you know requirements for it are, are too onerous. We we can't we can't stop it. We can catch and we can catch the shooters occasionally and put them away so we want them off the streets and, and the, the black caucus said you're not, you're not going to do it we're not going to support it and so you're at this crazy point where your data clearly show that you have a huge crime issue in, in, in the African American community that affects predominantly that community and, and yet efforts to, to stem that are going to fall, and because of that, efforts to stem those problems are going to fall disproportionately on that community. And, well, and the leadership of that community says, we don't want those efforts. Well, you know, it's it, it's interesting, uh, Lou, and it, it, you know, come, it's not like, uh, well, first of all, nobody on the show, including me, is a genius. Uh, good, Maybe good at what we do, and we're I honest. Yeah, I, and, and we're honest in what we say, and we're, we're willing to admit when we're wrong. So it puts us closer to... <laughs> being something than maybe a lot of people but uh, I, I, I just in, in, in my youth when I was you know actually working for these companies I was always the guy as the financial analyst that if, if there was a project I always had the assignment of saying okay if we do this and, and, and some of the assumptions don't uh, pan out the way we thought um, it's called sensitivity analysis what's, what's our you know what, what's our risk on this and, sure. it, and, it, and it's and it's interesting that I see basically none of that in politics. I mean, uh, my my guys last week were telling me essentially how draconian the gun laws are in Illinois. Okay, if you'd have asked me or anybody else who's who spent any time <coughs> doing anything trained like that at all, or really, <coughs> I don't know about any attorney, but but anybody would say, okay, if if you're over eighteen. And you're and you and you're caught using a gun in a or I guess not 18 is juvenile. I don't know. You're caught using a gun in a robbery. The minimum is going to be 20 years, or it's like 15 or 20, some huge number. And uh, with like no no ability to plead down. Well, of course I'm gonna. It wouldn't take too long for me to say, well, wait a minute. The guys now are going to get people under 18 to carry the gun, which is exactly what's happened. But that should have been obvious. And now we have judges that are that are not letting these young kids out because they've been involved in three or four armed robberies 
and everybody's all up in arms. But I just, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I, and I don't want to make this an accusation, but it, but it seems, it seems, uh, you know, obviously the, the jails are predominantly black people in there. Um, it, it seems like the, the black aldermen and the black caucus are really more concerned about the people that are, the gangs that are doing the crimes and the people are getting shot. I mean, I, I mean, it's probably a un- very unfair thing to say, and it's probably not true. But you got if you just if you listen just to the persona on the TV and radio and stuff, you get that feeling. And, and yet, that can't be true. Well, it can't be. Why not? Why? Why would I don't know? Why would anybody care more about somebody who shot somebody than the person who got shot? I, I, how can you? How can anybody be like that? I, I, I'm. I, I don't see that. I what I see is again, an ideological orientation that that says, I don't want to be a too many African, uh, African-American young men in jail, in prison. That's, that's, my, that's my picture. The fact that they are maybe deserve to be in there or have been put in there with due process or whatever, the fact that they're violent or whatever is irrelevant because I'm looking at this only in context of skin color. That these are people who look like me. They are too many of them in jail. They're disproportionately in jail. I'm going to do everything I can to defeat that. And I don't care about the intended consequences. And I don't care about about the the, the release of these guys back into our communities that were under ravagement. It, it's very much it's very much like the school equity. You know, we have we have pumped money into into remedial programs for for certain populations to try to bring them up to speed and, and it doesn't work. They, they, they are disproportionately underrepresented because, because of an merit system. They are, they are disproportionately underrepresented in our top high schools and colleges. So what do we do? We eliminate the standards for measurement so that now we come in and say, all right, I can, I can now leaven the, the, these disproportionately underrepresented populations, leaven them throughout these programs and raise the total number of people who look like be participating in these programs because I don't have to worry about merit anymore. And it doesn't matter to them that you're placing people in, in circumstances where they are literally de- they're really designed to fail in these situations. You eliminate you eliminate grading, you eliminate you know, these other things in the name of what's called equity which is a fixed outcome rather than a fixed process. And it's the same kind of it's the same kind of thinking. They they are not they are not wedded to looking at the causes and trying to deal with the sort of fundamental level. They are interested only in the outcome, which is how many people who look like me are in prison? how many people who look like me are in are in the college prep high schools? Or in, in elite universities, and if there are not enough of them, I, how do I, what's the easiest way for me to fix that? It's to eliminate our ability to convict them. It's to eliminate our ability to frame them, so that that we, we eliminate that standard. And I think in their world chief, those standards that are being used—the criminal law, academic merit—these are somehow invalid. Because they have to be valid, because they're not letting people like who look like me 
into the system. Well, there's there's a <clears throat> but I, I wonder, Lou, if we did a um, a cost benefit analysis, and I don't know how you how you actually you could do this probably. Uh, because from what I understand, from what I've seen in 60 Minutes and other things, of course, some people will say, don't listen to them, it's all left-wing propaganda. But uh, I've seen some of the penal systems, notably Nevada, um, absolutely requires for anybody who's ever plans on getting out, I, you know, again, I've seen this on 60 Minutes, so I'm not an expert on it, but some advancement towards a skill... They've put forth the money to teach the skills, whether it's auto repair, whether it's changing oil, whether it's God knows what it is, uh, for people. And uh, with the idea that when we when they when they leave here, there's a pretty reasonable chance of them not coming back because they have something they can do better, uh, or at least you know I'm sure there's some people that are totally unreformable, but I'm going to say hopefully that's the minority, uh, or certainly not the majority. Uh, <clears throat> and, and here we have. We have nothing like that because it's, quote, too expensive. Well, and if somebody were able to... You actually you actually do have that program in Chicago schools. But, I mean, we don't have it in county jail. Well, no, but, but the, the, schools, the schools, you've got something that, that'll, that'll divert that. And you don't have anything like that in county jail because your, your county jail is a mental health facility. Well, okay, but I'm, what I'm saying is the idea is it's way too expensive to have Model A. Which is the Nevada model? And I guess what I'm saying, Lou, is if I could clone myself and, and know what I did did 30 years ago, um, if I were to do a, a, a six month study and had a few people helping me, I'm not so sure that the Nevada program doesn't come out to be cheaper in the long run. It it may it may well do that. I don't know what the recidivism rates are for for Nevada. Well, here it's got to be like. Hundred percent, for God's sake! Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty close. I think that's I think that's probably probably correct. But I mean, uh, there are, there are a whole bunch of, of issues with data that we have right now. When I say we, I mean I mean our our culture, our, our the, the people in charge have right now that that could give us all kinds of insight into whether these kinds of remedial programs would work. The short answer is, for a lot of guys coming out, even if you train them with a skill set, for a lot of these guys coming out, it is much easier to go back to the neighborhood, do the crime, deal the drugs, get in with the get in with the, the buddies, than it is to sit down, force yourself to show up to a job five days a week, force yourself to learn to learn the skill, adapt, adapt your personality to a workplace culture, whether it's an auto shop or, or a large corporate setting or, you know, a newspaper, that's hard for a lot of these guys because their entire life has been, has been spent not preparing for something like this. And, and so, you know, even if you can give them the basic skills, when they come out, that the, the adaptation process into a regular life is is really difficult. Well, I'm not it's so sure. Motivation. I mean, I, I wonder, as, as obviously grown up a, uh, well, not just grown up, I still consider myself a Catholic, the idea that somebody is totally irreconcilable or ir, 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 whatever the term would be, 
irre- irredeemable. Irredeemable is something that you don't even... They're part of a basket of deplorables. Yeah, I mean, I... But you see this, uh, <clears throat> the, the rap sheet that these 14 to 16-year-olds have, I, I can't, I almost can't imagine, as my grandmother used to say, you reach the age, you should know right and wrong when you're seven. These guys don't. And, uh, and the question is, if you absolutely flat out don't, if you think shooting somebody just happens to be okay, or something that the gangs do, it's like, you know, tackling somebody in a football field. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how you ever... At a basic level, I don't know how you change that. I mean, well, I, and that's a, a failure to recognize that is is part is part of the problem. I always go back. I was, I don't know, I want to talk about Ukraine a little bit. I always okay. go back to Richard Pryor, who had a great company routine about going going to the penitentiary. And he said, "Going to the penitentiary, rapping with the brothers, talking about what you know, what life is like, and all this." And he said, "I I come to one conclusion." Thank God we got the centuries. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there are there are people that have managed to come out and make a life for themselves. I mean, some of the attorneys that I speak to every week ha- have stories. I mean, they're they're still not going to be uh, deacons of the church, but uh, they've managed no, to, to no, get. No, no, there, there are, nobody. I don't. I don't believe uh, much like you. I believe in the perfectibility of man. I believe that was our Catholic catechism teaching, but but. You know, we we gotta we got some work to do. If if in fact you wanna you wanna put that into into application. Well, the thing I can't and and you're always giving me criticism about this. And then we'll turn to Ukraine in a second. You always give me criticism about this because you know I, I I learned at a very young age. I learned to be colorblind when I look at people. And you're telling me that's not. I don't really have. Well, a no, I'm not criticizing you for it. That's the way I I look at it. I think that's the way professionals should look at the world. Well, I don't understand how if if the if the first ten people that come through. Uh, your speed tra- not speed trap. How's that for a bad term? Your your spot where you got the radar. I don't care if they're if they're Indian, Spanish, Asian, white, or whatever. They were speeding. I mean, I, the idea that if if ten of them happen to be black or or white, you can't stop another black or white person to catch somebody from the other side. To me, is is so insane. I mean, if you take that and to that's, a, that's when you and I are out of touch, Chief. Well, that, but let me ask you this: If I went out to round up a group of uh, fifteen. KKK people that beat up some black guy or worse, do I have to include three black guys in the arrest? I mean, how stupid does that sound? Uh, don't, don't get me started on it. Don't get me this. It's critical race theory, and don't get me started on this. Okay? All right, what about Ukraine? What, what, what happened? What's the story with the, uh, for those of you who haven't uh, been reading these articles, some, 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 uh, well, Lou's going to tell a story, but somebody's sure. accusing they're, they're a, they're a cell phone. Strike. Yes, a rocket strike yeah. on, the, on a Russian mobilization facility. The Russians put hundreds of mobilized, newly mobilized troops into a building that was within uh, artillery range of the front line. And the Ukrainians found out about it. They targeted the place with what we believe are HIMARS systems. Took the <laughs> excuse me, took the building down. Right, what's a HIMARS system? Pardon me? What's a HIMARS system? It stands for High Mobility Artillery Rocket System, and it's a very accurate uh, mobile uh, rocket system that launches either uh, multiple bomblets or high single unit, what they call a unitary explosive warhead, uh, onto a target with tremendous accuracy. But does somebody have to paint the target on the other end, or does this thing find it by itself? No, it finds it by itself. Okay. 
And so, so they were in this they were in this facility within within range. The Ukrainians found out about it, and the the discussion is how they found out about it. But when they took the building, when they hit the building, they killed. Well, the Russians admitted last report I saw eighty nine dead, um, and and God knows how many wounded. The they, they pancaked the building. The building was completely destroyed. My they hit it at night, obviously. When these guys were in there, my understanding is that you're probably talking about somewhere in the vicinity between 400 and 500 total casualties. And I don't know how many of those, I don't know how many of those were, were AIA. But, but the, the, the issue is how do they, how do they target it? And there's been, of course, the Russian Ministry of Defense said it was because all these idiots got to the building and turned their cell phones on. And the Ukrainians then had, had signals from all these cell phones in one spot and recognized that it was a, it was a gathering spot and hit the place. I, I think I think that's a little too convenient, and I don't believe anything that comes out of the Russian Ministry of Defense these days. I I think th- these guys had been there for two weeks, <clears throat> so this was not a you know they all get there, turn their phones on, and then somebody says, "Oh, there they are." They'd been there for two weeks, and in fact, their commanding officer had been trying to move find another place to move him because he recognized that this was a dangerous situation. He's dead, by the way. He was killed in the strike. Um, it's highly likely that what happened was they got their Ukrainian ground sources probably confirmed that this, in fact, was exactly you know what it looked like, a mustering spot. There probably was some kind of signals intelligence that indicated that, that these guys were turning their phones on, but, you know... You don't just shoot a missile at a bunch of phone, cell phone signals because you could be targeting a high school <coughs> or or a hospital. So so there was some pretty good ground intel that identified this place as a as a facility where these guys were being were being uh, bumped and and they hit it. it. It the attack has generated a tremendous amount of criticism within within Russia against the military. Um, the uh, you know the, the Russian Twitter telegram is is just alive with comments from uh, Russian military uh, uh, bloggers saying that this is inexcusable. People need to be fired. This is a, another yet another example of our total inability to recognize uh, modern war and, and how it's fought, and to deal with you know basic issues like not putting people in facilities right next to the front lines. But but this is a problem the Russians are going to have because their logistics are so bad that they have to move people. And, oh, and by the way, there was a big ammunition storage facility right next to this building when they hit it. So it, it, that blew up, too. Lou, do um, they still use, uh, for those who watched the movie, uh, was it Clear and Present Danger, where the, the guy on the ground puts the, the beam on the, on, the, on the Bronco and the yeah. So we gave the target for the bomb to smart we're bomb. Way, we're way past that. But we can still do that, I assume. We can. Um, <clears throat> but you're, we're, we're, way, we're way past that. Um, okay. our, our warheads now, we could, we could put stuff on the warhead that will put a little TV camera in there so that it can actually see the building. And it'll, it'll have a picture of the building when the, when the missile is launched. And it, it comes in over the top of the missile and then looks down and it says, okay, there's the, there's the picture that matches the, or there's the image that matches the picture that I have. So, the, But these are ground-launch missiles. These aren't smart bombs from a plane. 
right. These are ground launched, but they're smart. They're brilliant. You know, they're they're brilliant uh, weapons. So so anyway, my point is that the Russians are looking at real problems in this because they have to move their their logistics system is is pretty bad, and they have to move people and munitions and supplies <clears throat> in these large in large groups and deliver them to to choke points, you know, en masse. So even if you even if you want to try to disperse your forces and their supplies across a wide area, it's very difficult for the Russians to do this because they don't have a logistic structure. Well, they don't they have, have a trucks. They don't have the, the rail lines, and and the Ukrainians are targeting all of this stuff. You know, the the every node, every transportation node, every gathering spot. If you if so, they don't have the, the, the they don't have the fleet of C one thirties and stuff that can land close and all that stuff like we do. No, and 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 they don't have they don't have the the, the capacity again to disperse these these you know ammunition. Artillery yep. shells, food, troops. They tend to come in in large groups, and they stay in large groups until they're they're individually farmed out to the to the front line units. And these nodes are what what the Ukrainians are, are hitting. And, and All right, Louis, so, we got a dash, but uh, thank you. Uh, happy New Year, and happy uh, New Year. We'll talk at you next week. SP futures now down twenty five cents. We're not down much, but down twenty five cents. That's uh, Nasdaq futures still up eight. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, 
or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Well, my big stocks and jocks. I'm Tom Allen. on the board. SP futures down one and a quarter. Nasdaq futures up two fifty. So we're hovering here. We're not. We're not. Heading off to the to the moon like we did yesterday, uh, it would be very nice to put two days in a row together because we put some losing days in a row together. Uh, we do not. Um, we uh, you know, that would be nice. Individual stocks. We've got CVX uh, up a buck eighty six, which is interesting because oil's not up. Uh, we have uh, App- Apple up a buck thirty one. We got Amgen up a buck ten. We've got American Express down two fifty. Uh, so not much going on in the individual stocks. Still been kind of slow this week, even though we have we still have the movements back and forth. The dollar has solidified in at this 106 euro number and 120 pound. It's been there for a while, so the dollar is not causing a whole hell of a lot of fluctuation. We've had the metals have run up, especially gold. It's up to 1850. So we've had sort of an interesting start to the year. We have uh, the labor numbers coming out tomorrow. Now I think, as everybody reads the headlines today. We're seeing uh, Amazon says it's going to cover 18,000 jobs. We had uh, uh, Salesforce going to is actually been up a few days because they're going to cut jobs. It's, it's I, that, well, as long as I've been in the business, I never really could understand how how that worked. Uh, the company says they're doing so lousy they're going to cut people. It always the stock always manages to go up. Uh, I guess you know it's some res- it's a response to management maybe doing something or whatever. Uh, yesterday, the Fed minutes came out, and it seems like every single Fed person was agreed that we're going to see uh, higher rates for some time. Which really, and I understand why the why the people, the people, don't listen to these guys because they've been. If you listen to them for the last three years, the first there was no inflation, there was this, there was that, there's not raising. Then they did. Now all of a sudden, they're going to keep raising no matter what, which I don't I don't believe for a second. Um, so we have, uh, you know, somewhat of an interesting uh, uh, situation. Uh, Andrew, I have a question for you. Uh, what what is with all these lay? What, what is the status after uh, after the COVID? What is the status of uh, the entertainment business? I mean, you you do a lot of improv. You do a lot of all that other stuff. Mm. The, and the, the 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 I was on the board of the uh, one of the theaters, the Factory Theater. Is is any of that back, or what was that all back? One, what percentage of that is? I was because I got an email from the Factory Theater people yesterday. I was going to ask you today. Um, what is the uh, what is the status of uh, of that? I mean, are, are these the plays that they're that are now doing for the first time in a few years? Are, are people showing up there or not? I mean, what's the what's the story? Yeah, I mean, I I can't comment too much on like plays and larger shows like that, but at least when it comes to smaller clubs, more what I'm used to. I kind of feel like I do think things are back now, but it just over the history of COVID, there were just places that went down and just never really recovered. Um, 
So I believe, at least I hope at this point, that all the places that are going to shut down because of COVID already have. Um, but it definitely has been different ever since. Um, and I feel like maybe numbers are not exactly as high as they used to be, but they're at least certainly not what they were, you know, a year or two ago. They're pretty good now, as far as I can see. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, so, so again, it's sort of like, uh, um, it's, it's sort of like restaurants. It, it looks like, you know, if you go buy one, it looks like they're crowded, but it's not taking account of the one across the street that maybe didn't open again. Yeah. Oh, it looks like we're going to call in. I'll be back in just okay. a second. Okay, I think that's Mr. Dan. The, uh, I don't know why he didn't call in earlier, but it was, it was a new year. Everybody's, you know, everybody's getting getting back together. I mean, the SP features are down down a buck fifty. The uh, very interesting conversation with uh, with Lou there, because I mean, this is all big news in the Chicago area, and for a city that's not doing so hot, I mean, these are these are big issues. I mean, they don't seem like they would be for stocks and jacks, but they surely are because the, the crime is. We got a mayor race coming up. Crime is a big issue. It's a. Uh, um, John, do we? Was this John or, uh, or Dan? Good morning. Hey, what's up? It's John, though. Yeah, I mean, I just, interesting because I just got an email from uh, Dan wanting to know if we were on. I, I, I think we're on. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, why don't you, uh, Andrew? Why don't you check your phone? Make sure we're going out. I think we we have to be. Uh, so, so John, what's up? I was talking to. Uh, you got to start. Uh, you, we'd like to have you show up on some of these uh, Wednesday nights. It's a very interesting group. Uh, we are talking about this new, uh, well, the uh, the issue with this state law. And uh, I don't, uh, I mean, I, 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 they claim it's unconstitutional on about seven or eight different reasons. I mean, it's not even close. Yeah, actually, there was, and Lou, I think, he was absolutely right that, you know, what he was just saying in the, in the last hour, that the Supreme Court wouldn't do this to just hold off on, um, you know, in, in enforcement of the act it's, it went into effect January 1 they wouldn't have done that unless they were pretty sure they were, that they couldn't get the thing past constitutional mus- muster there was a very good letter to the editor of all places in the Sun-Times yesterday, the day before and uh, you know, not somebody in the think tank or a lobbyist as far as I could tell who just gave you know, an extremely cogent explanation of what's wrong with this entire concept that you take the discretion of, of granting or denying bail from a judge who has that discretion um, and give it to, in effect, the legislature, and that this is just a gross violation of the separation of powers by any stretch. So um, I, I do think that you know that there's been a tremendous overreach here, and the thing really, once people started to find out it had been passed, you know, and it got some circulation in the airwaves. People were horrified by it, and it really, you know, it upset kind of the, the dynamics of the gubernatorial race yeah. for a while too. When when Pritzker had signed it, and had to kind of like backtrack on what you know he was trying to do. So, Andrew, did, did you say we have Dan as well? I don't. I think Dan's talking to. <laughs> We have Dan as well. Well, you, you mind sharing with Dan, John? I don't think so. Oh no, I'll, I'll defer to, to Dan though because I want here's yeah. what he has. Well, to hang in because we might we might need you as well. Who knows what we're going to talk about? Dan, are you you with us? I am. Uh, Happy New Year, Bud. Happy New Year to you. We uh, just a, a, a one one piece of uh, of business. We're we're we're, uh, we're starting to. Uh, uh, I was talking to some of the people over at NFO, and we're going to 
put out a, a pretty big initiative this year, uh, both on how well you have performed for the people over there. And I'm also going to, we're also going to, on a shameless plug, we're going to talk about how well the Protected Index Program performed relatively going forward. So um, I think we're going to uh, try and help some people out by uh, including them more in, go- in, our, in our efforts going forward. How's that for a marketing thing to say? That's excellent. Sounds good to me. We're going we're gonna to help them out. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not, absolutely. Not like the used car sales, but it says if you buy my car, you'll be a happy man. <laughs> not like that, but uh, the uh, there's a lot of people that were pretty wounded last year in the market, and uh, I think we could have helped. Um, yeah, I, exactly. And I think the the thing is our uh, style, both, both our our investment strategies, our investment styles, do very well in these periods, and sometimes you know. Um, I don't think people realize just how well they do if you look at it on a relative basis. And, you know, you could be 20% ahead of of the market and maybe just be flat or slightly positive. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's important to realize that when the market goes down, it's not reciprocal. It's not like a seesaw. You end up, it takes more to earn that money back. So I think protecting your money in, the, in any type of uncertain market is very important. But always having a piece of your portfolio dedicated to capital preservation strategy um, will help your performance. It'll temper that downside, that uncertainty. Well, you can't, uh, and Jan, feel free to pine, uh, pine in here. I, it, you can't have this this view. I mean, I when I when I first learned about you know options and people, you, you can you can certainly bury yourself with options. There's no doubt about that. There's a, there's a reason why they're considered risky investments. There's a lot of reasons. But uh, but by the same token, what what I've always tried to do in, in, in any walk of life is to to walk in and just and just just bet on something that if it goes your way you win. Well, of course everybody's going to win by saving a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then, right? Uh, the you, I don't like the idea that if you if you're right, you 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 make only the same amount as as you lose if you're wrong. If you can possibly Shift that curve around a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Um, that you know that's what options allow you to do if you know what you're doing. And that's a big if. Um, you know, and so I mean that's why I think it's it's better for people to to come up with a plan with somebody who knows what they're doing, not just putting you in a group like Merrill Lynch would. You're all in the same deal. I mean they they put you in a in, in the round hole whether you're the square peg or not. You can go that way, but you need I think. You need managers, and, and there's other people other than Dan and I that do this, but, but there, aren't, there aren't that many, really. But there are some people that are really good where you put together a program and the person executes the program for you. They don't design the program. You design the program together. You know, what do you think about the market? What is your age? What is your income? What, you know, how dear is this money to you? When I say that, money's dear to everybody, but if... If you got ten grand in your investment account and you're making five million a year as a shortstop, I guess the ten grand is not as is is dear to you as it would be somebody who's retired getting Social Security a month, and that's the only ten grand they're ever going to have, right? Dan? it's a right. it, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it, it's it, as an investment advisor, which we both are. You almost have to be like a doctor that once you listen to somebody's vitals, financial vitals, they just drop into certain risk levels. And, and and not that there aren't choices in there, there are. 
Plus, or you could say, that I don't pay attention to either Dan or Tom and go do what I damn well please somewhere else. I mean, you, that's always a choice, right? I mean, there's always a choice to walk out of the doctor and say, I'm not taking any of the pills you gave me, right? Uh, but the, the idea is to work together for everybody's best interest. And I'm not so sure that, you know, everybody sort of does that, Dan. I mean, most people, if, if, you're, if you're 100% in the market, the gods have decreed that that's okay because the market always goes up, and if it goes down, well, you just had a bad year. Well, you and I aren't like that. I mean, it, no. no, it's not okay for, for this guy. He's he's 80 years old. He's been retired for 20 years, for God's sake. You can't lose his dough. And he, I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of risk, but he can't be on the, you know, win 100000 lose 100000 flip a coin page, right? It, he, he doesn't belong there. And even though the yeah. Fed for the last Absolutely. how many years, but the Fed has really driven people out on this plank, for lack of a better term. You know, you can't get anything in the bank, can't get anything in a CD, you got to put your money in the market, even if you don't belong there, right? I mean, it's that's what. And now that's kind of coming back the other way, right? Dan, there is some fixed income. Guys like you oh, manage to find more. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been substantial over two thousand. You know, you know, as we as we were saying in the in the, the last show that that to go from basically zero, um, at funds rate zero zero or point two five up to four and a quarter, four and a half. I mean, that's a pretty substantial increase and. That is, you know, a good place to park cash, or at least to have some portion of your your cash um, or of your portfolio right now, because it is income. It is income that's going to offset some of some of the uh, riskier assets um, that you have. And as we've talked about too, these corporate bonds that are short term that are given six and seven percent, that even adds more um, income um, and more stability to the to the portfolio without taking on a lot of credit risk. So they're this is a good environment um, for, um, you know, adding stability. You know, if I have to look forward, I would say that we're going to have some, some good days in the market and some days that are challenging in the year ahead. And, you know, without trying to predict where, where the whole, you know, year goes, I would say what's really important and the lesson hopefully that people learn from 2022 is to, to have money allocated to a more conservative or more, um, capital, you know, strategy that helps to preserve capital, whether it's a, an option strategy like yours or a strategy that focuses more on income like ours, or maybe a combination of both, because that is really what's going to help you, especially as you approach re- retirement. The other thing is we're paying attention to this every single day, so we're not just getting headlines here and there. We're, we're able to look at the nuances in the market, and, and we also are able to get generally get better pricing than an individual would get on on their own. And we're able to time things properly. So this is what we do all day long. And a lot of, you know, a, a good amount of being able to manage well and get good performance is about timing, being in at the right time and, and getting out at the right time. Well, it's a, I mean, I think, Dan, and I mean, feel free, you or John, to disagree with me. I mean, the, the quote, the deal, as they say in the South Side, uh, that, the government, if you ever can pin that down or anything, uh, made with people when they had these uh, 401ks and IRAs. The the deal was, if, if you put enough away, and the, and the amounts that they allowed you to put away, if you did you know the max every year, and your, which most people I think did, and some companies or a lot of companies helped out, and they, they uh, you know they added to it, they participated, some 10%, some as much as 20 or 30, which would be great to work with most places, um, it seemed, Dan, up at, no, even just, I'm talking even 10, 15, 18 years ago, 
the, the, I won't say the normal couple, but the couple that would walk in my door roughly had somewhere between a million and a million and a half dollars in this spot, okay? And uh, and whether they, some combination of stocks, some combination of, of, you know, interest over a period of time. And I think the deal was uh, that if you had a million, million and a half dollars, it, you know, it seems like a lot of money, but you're not there to spend it. That's your, that's your retirement nest egg. That at a three and a half risk-free rate, you're going to make between thirty-five and, and fifty grand a year in interest. This is without any risk. And oh, by the way, you're going to get your Social Security, which roughly two grand a month. Two people are getting it's probably better than that. So you're talking about fifty-five to seventy-five grand a year. The house by then hopefully is paid for. Uh, the kids, you know, hopefully you're not still boarding the kids, but you never know about that. So. You know, could you live on sixty-five grand a year, a lot of it tax-free, uh, after your house is paid for? You know, you're getting a new car every seven or eight years. You're going to need a new roof every once in a while, and that kind of stuff. The answer is yes. I mean, that, I think the answer still is yes, even with some of the inflation. Well, yes, they 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 cut all that out of people. Said, okay, well, by the way, now you you're you're, you're making zero. You know, and you're not on Social Security yet. So everybody was forced down the risk curve which they really, most people, not most people, a lot of people don't want to be. And wh- what you and I offer, if I can uh, mention this, so okay, it allowed people, you, you had to step out, I'll say, on the risk plank, for lack of a better term. You, you take step one, and you, and you run into somebody like Dan, and you say, okay, well, can Dan find some bonds or something that are obviously a little more uh, risky than... Uh, that than either a, a, a CD or a T-bill. Can he find something that's short-term, that's safe enough, that gets me back into this, on a scale of 1 to 10, can he get me some interest by going out to a 2, you know, on, on a scale of 1 to 10? Now, there's still a chance that despite Dan's best efforts, he's going to talk to some guy, and the next day the guy's in you know, the Barbary Coast somewhere. But it's, it's, I mean, you're counting on Dan to help you make sure that that doesn't happen. You take another step out, you run into somebody like me. It says, okay, we're going to be in some stocks or indexes, but we're going to be protected, and now we, we can lose some dough, but on a given day, that number, depending on what we decide on, could be 3%, 5%, 10% is the worst case, um, and you can we can, we can get there. Then you, you take another step out. So it's a question of, of where on that plank do you want to go. And now we're saying that probably... With the, with the T-bills where they are, at least for the short term, you can be back to square one. You can be making your 4% a year, 4.5% a year, and not have to talk to anybody. But now you might take some of that and go out another step and say, gee, why don't I take some of this and have a guy like Dan who I count on to find these places that are good companies that are paying 6 and 7% or 5% or something, and, and now I'm, I'm making a blended rate. If I even do half with Dan... Of, of, uh, of a little more than that. Maybe I'm making five and a half or six instead of the four and a half the Fed's paying. Or I can make another step out and talk to a guy like me and say, okay, we're going to be in these indexes, so we're going to be diversified. It doesn't matter if they all go down, right, Dan? But we're also going to have put protection. We're going to have something. Now, there is some risk there because we're paying for these puts, but it's, it's another, should I have a little bit more in there? And I guess if you're, if you're really, you know, if you have all kinds of of equity and you're still making money if I see the market looking like it's making a bottom here 
Do I want to just put some in and forget about it for 10 years? Yeah, some people should be doing that too, right? But it's all the, it's all the person, right? Absolutely. Well, in the climate like this, with inflation taking a bite out of everybody, too, no matter what kind of you know, return you could have lived on, say, three, four years ago, I think that's that's changed substantially, and you know, for some uh, drastically, I bet, where they they can't you know, live on their sixty-five or seventy-five thousand a year given their expenses. So that that's I, th- I think forced people to make some even tougher decisions about how far out on, on the plank they want to go. And you, you probably hear this from your clients, you and, and Dan both, uh, that, that inflation is something nobody really thought too much about. I would say two or three years ago, and now it's pretty hard to ignore. Yeah, I think, John, it's a really good point that there's, no one did think about it a few years ago because we had gone through such a prolonged period where we weren't seeing this sort of rapid acceleration in inflation and we weren't seeing these this level of price increases. And what's happening now is there has been, you know, people are adjusting their, their repricing and they're deciding that, you know, a specific good or service is now costing maybe a double what it costs. We used to have to get used to it. What hasn't quite happened yet, and what I think will happen in 2023, is both companies, well, it has started happening, but companies and individuals will start cutting back on spending in certain areas, or they'll just be more um, selective about where they spend money. And the so we're talking about there are three levels, right? There's the individual, the household, then there's the company level, and then there's, finally there's the government level, and the government also has to learn that lesson as well in terms of cutting back on spending so that this repricing can occur and that we can start seeing like if things level off and hopefully um, some you know some pricing coming down so that um, you know we, we can keep away from any any serious economic downturn Dan, do you uh, when you say uh, price is coming down do you what what percentage of the prices I've been yammering about this all week? What what percentage of the uh, prices do you think out of people's whole basket can really come down? I mean, they, I mean, they all can come down if we went into a depression. But what what? I mean, I don't I, mean, I don't see utility bills coming down. I don't see uh, hospital stays coming down. I don't know about prescription drugs. It seems like for some people, fifty, sixty, seventy percent, maybe rents are are in the, are in the not coming down part, and you know, and we're. And we can get gasoline down to 270, but we're not going to get it much lower than that. It's, that's not going to save us all the way. I mean, uh, how much do you think can even come down? I think on the food side, we'll start. Think, you know, we're going to have to see some, some, you know, prices come down because that, that's one area. Whether it's food that you eat at a restaurant or food that you get at the grocery stores, there still seems to be um, sticker shock um, with you know basic items that, that people tend to buy every week. Um, so that's one area that I think has room to come down. Services as well, and we're seeing that here in Florida with a lot of people still looking for contractors to, to do the repair work from hurricane. Um, and 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 I have friends and clients who are who are contractors that will admit we've been able to charge more, we've been able to be more selective about our client base, and we've been able to work less. But that won't last very long because eventually there'll be people like me who, who tend to be more value-oriented that are going to say, hey, I'm not paying that much to have this particular work done. I'm looking for a cleaning service recently and, you know, never having to think of paying like between 50 and $100 an hour for, for somebody to clean your house. An hour. That's a lot. <laughs> not total, an hour. 
So, so that I don't think those prices are going to stay that high. And, and what's going to change has to be a reshifting of, of um, you know, the, again, like less spending combined with um, less. You know, I think people needing to get back to work and needing to, to, you know, finally say, hey, you know, I've run out of money. I need to get get a job. And I think those types of things need to happen. And, and probably some general changing of sentiment that has occurred during the period of. Um, COVID that has to get, people just need to get back out and work again. And losing some of that, I think, has actually been detrimental to, losing some of that incentive has been detrimental, I think, to our economy. Dan, how much, uh, I'll ask you a question, and we got a few minutes, and then maybe I'll follow it up with John after the break, but how much of that is the, kind of the weird interplay we have in this country between stuff that's covered by insurance that pays sometimes full bore I mean, I, I'll, I'll use the instance. I mean, I, I've never had a hurricane, but we've had we've had huge rains in Chicago where people's basements have quote flooded. Okay, well, if, if your insurance covers it, I've seen people get these these operations out there with these incredible you know trucks where all the rugs are out of the downstairs if you put them in your garden apartment, all the plasterboard. They come in there and within you know a day, the thing is ready to be kind of rebuilt again. All the molds out of there, the things dried out. I mean they. I bet you pay those people like a ton, you know, if you have the in, the insurance. I don't think that just having those people over to clean your basement on a regular day that they, I hope they don't expect to get the same amount from an individual. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, but yet if it's insurance, they, they'll pay whatever they want, and they'll charge whatever they want, and they'll seem to get it. It's almost, you know, it's like prescription drugs, damn near. You know, if it's insurance, it's, Five hours a pill or ten dollars a pill. If it's you're on your own, write us and we'll send it to you for fifty cents. You know, we have this two-tiered pricing all over the place. Is that what you're kind of seeing down there? Yeah, I mean, some of it—that's true. Some of it does happen. That happens no matter what economic environment we're in. You know, no matter where things are. But I think now is a little bit different. I think even areas that are that are you know, if, if things that are unrelated so much to the hurricane, when you have a contractor come by to give you an estimate, like I did last week <coughs> on the garage door opener. Um, and I was told to replace it, it would be $1,000, and I just thought to myself, this, you know, and then just went online and looked at what the cost is and the labor, the average cost of labor, which is about half of that. Well, by the time he left, we were able to get the price down to five-something or 600 I was going to say five fifty, six hundred because my girlfriend that's, just had one exactly done. That's exactly where it came in, but, yeah. but the thing is, there's, there's a, you know, I think you've mentioned this before, too. We, there's this period that we're in right now where we're... Um, Contractors, you know, people who are in the service industry are saying, "Hey, we can get you know twenty bucks for a drink at, at a restaurant, you know, so we're going to charge it, you know, and people are still going to pay it." And then people decide, "Hey, we're not going to pay it. Maybe the prices do come down." So there is that wiggle room that it has to get that excess that has to come out of the the system, and unless people are willing to challenge that or just to stop purchase making those purchases, it, it's not going to happen. Well, one of my uh uh, people, I have a lot of people that do work work in my place when I need it, right? And, and, and I kind of farm them out. But one of the guys who's who's very fair, I won't say what nationality or anything, uh, he says some of his buddies tell him, here's the deal, we all got nothing but business. The people that are your regular clients, charge them what you always charge them, do a good job. The new people charge them twice as much because you don't even know who the hell they are. They're never going to call you back. <laughs> There's, there's, I guess, I guess there's some logic to that, Dad. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> pretty good management, I think. <laughs> God. Anyway, on that note, Dad, Happy New Year, and I think we're gonna, 
uh, do good this year, bud. And uh, I'm happy yes. you were on last year, and I'm happy you're on this year. And take care of yourself, and and, and only and only pay five fifty for that garage door opener, not not a thousand, bud. Happy New Year, Dan. <laughs> happy New Year. To and by the way, Dan, are we ever going to see two up days in a row? His market looks sick. Dan was Dan going? He must be. SP Futures down seventeen. Nasdaq down fifty-one. Talk about that when we come back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and, jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, well, everybody. Stocks and jocks. I'm Tomorrow Andrew on the board. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of mornings that were up, and right at the end of the show, we were kind of down. And uh, yesterday, we managed to. Did that a couple times. We actually finished up on the day. Uh, today, we're not even waiting until the end of the show. S&P futures, instead of being up 10 or 12, we came in. They're now down 20. NASDAQ futures down 60. So we're sinking here right out of the gate. Dow futures down 102. Uh, uh, we had strong jobs data, jobs data at ADP. That's one of the reasons why we're dropping here. So, again, it's 
the market is is acting as if the Fed is still driving this bus, and I I think the Fed's going to settle in this year at four and a half, four four seventy five, and like do nothing. So I think the bus is is in a straight line here, and I don't know why the market continues to have this enthusiasm that we're going to go back to these one percent rates because I don't see it happening. I also don't see them going to six percent either. So anyway, I, my my view is different as usual from the market. Nikkei was up 103 last night. One, that's 0.4 percent. Hang Seng up another 259. 1.25. They're above 21,000 now. I'm gonna go back on this thing in a second. Uh, and maybe uh, when when John's talking, I go back on this Hang Seng and find out when it hit the 14,000. It wasn't very long ago. Shanghai up 31. 1 percent. Is China supposedly is getting moving? Everybody's gonna go piling back in there. I don't believe that for a second. Yesterday Dow up 133. S&P up 28. Nasdaq futures up 72. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 46.3%. What's the up? Now, they were the only ones that wasn't up very much yesterday, so they're kind of catching up. They're up today, 34.5%. CAC around down 11.2. Uh, bonds up five basis points, which is different. Uh, 3.75. Again, they came out with that ADP number. Uh, the bond up six basis points, 2.33. Japan down four to 4.42. It's going the other way. Uh, oil up a dollar 45, but still 74.29. Uh, real low. And that Brent up buck fifty one, still under eighty, seventy nine thirty five. Natural gas down twenty three cents. Get a load of this number, three ninety four. Our Bob up three cents, two twenty nine. I guess it's going to be a warm winter according to these guys. Gold down eight bucks, but still eighteen fifty. Silver down thirty one cents, twenty three sixty five. Copper up eight cents, three eighty two. We've got Bitcoin now down twelve bucks, but still right in here, sixteen thousand seven ninety seven, where it's been for a long time. The U.S. dollar is now up. Because of the uh, ADP number, that the rates aren't going to come down. We're down to 105.5 in the euro, and we're at 119.30. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually a 1% move in the pound, uh, so quite a bit. Andrew, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? All right, it is 7.38 here in Chicago on uh, January 5th. Starting off with sports with football, uh, Sunday, we can look forward to the Bears playing the Vikings at 12 p.m. Chicago time. Basketball last night, the Bulls won over the Nets, ending their game 121 to 112. But the Suns lost to the Cavaliers, ending their game at a close 90 to 88. And uh, for hockey tonight, we can look forward to the Coyotes playing the Flyers. Now for weather, Chicago it is currently at 33 degree degrees. Uh, it's cloudy, rainy, misty, kind of ugly, and we're only going to get a high of 34 today. Over in Phoenix, things are much better at 47 degrees. It's clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 68. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, a lot of accidents and such on the Eisenhower today. Um, right now, it's on the outbound Eisenhower. Uh, an accident on the right shoulder is causing delays uh, near 9th Avenue. And other than that, the uh, main thing to take note of is on inbound Stevenson, traffic is getting pretty heavy between Harlem Avenue and Kedzie Avenue. But thankfully, no accident to report there. So that's all I got. Back the, to you, Chief. The, uh, the, the number I've been, I've been talking about here, and the ADP number is 235,000, way high, higher than people uh, expected. It's got leisure and hospitality grew by 123, professional and business services grew by 52, education and healthcare services add 42. So if the Fed is actually looking to stop employment, uh, now, I, now I'll grant you that on top of this, uh, the I don't, I'm not sure what week they do their sample is ADP. It'll be a, well, that'll be a cow uh, uh, question tomorrow. But because uh, we've got um, Amazon, and these other people laying off chunks of people, 
I don't think that they're counted yet because they're talking about doing it. They haven't done it yet. So I think it's the third week of the month is the key week. But, again, that's a Carl question. John, do you remember if, if it's the third week with Carl Ketter set or is it the second I think, week? I think so. And Right, the Amazon numbers wouldn't figure. So, um, Although I, I'll defer to Carl. He certainly knows that better than I do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a Amazon, and it was Salesforce, and a lot of people are, are talking about laying off. So uh, uh, in the midst of, I don't, I don't know where ADP, I mean, those numbers, I'm sure, for them are accurate. I mean, I don't see how they can't be when they're actually sending people out the checks. Uh, but they've had some issues with their numbers. I think they're trying to to uh, adjust them to match up to the Fed numbers, John. I think ever since they tried to do that, I, it might have lost, uh, what did, uh, what was the guy's name, uh, Gephardt's? Was it Gephardt's law? Yeah. And once once you start uh, aiming for an index, the index becomes useless or something. Right. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, what a what a uh, a, a terrific thing to say. How accurate is that? Forgot. So when the CPI, right? We're aiming for that, and it's, it's become useless, in my opinion. Yeah. So what do you what do you think? I mean, uh, there's people with the market. When I talk to you about the market. It's kind of a more of an everyman discussion. Because psychology, you know, goes all across the human, human, uh, shall we say, pasture, uh, and, it, and it, it never really changes. I mean, you have some people uh, that have, have been wounded in the market and are just out. I mean, you're trying to get uh, guys to put extra money in the market now is kind of tough after last year. Uh, and, and, you know, I understand that for sure. There's people that if they bought a stock at 100 and it's now trading 60, it must be a buy because they're not an idiot. No, an idiot would have bought it at 100, right? It had to be worth 100. Now the people that are straight in 60, those guys are the idiots. It really is really worth 100 and to buy more, right? Right. Uh, I mean, I've had some people that have not on my on my uh, on, on my recommendation, but people that are buying Tesla just to average down. I'm like, oh, really? Wow. Um, but you know, but that's yeah. Kathy Wood just bought some. Now you have to be. You can you can fall into the trap. That it used to be three times higher. That's where the real smart people bought it, and down here, I don't know what's happening to it, but just only a matter of time before it goes back up to the old old price plus. Because is where there's still people with you know 400, 500 targets on for Tesla. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, I mean, may, maybe in somebody's lifetime, but I don't know who's who's ever lifetime. I don't know if they're around yet. Uh, you know, having said that, you know they might have another discovery of something, and it might be there this year. I mean, that's, that's why it's a market. But John, what is just in terms of of every man? If the Fed is not going to provide the, um, if they just, in my opinion, if they take themselves out of the picture this year with a four and a half percent rate that they just stick with, maybe for the next several years, or at some point maybe drop it back down to four, but still not one or anything like that or half. Where the, the engine of the market advance has to come from earnings and efficiency and growth in the economy. Real growth, not, not just money pouring in. I don't know where that is right now, do you? I mean, if, if we go back to the only way we're going to grow is somebody who's got an electrical store, and by the way, he's doing twice as much business as three years ago, and he's got twice as many employees. How far are we away from that? I mean, you see... Some stuff happening. With a matter of fact, some of the guys last night were saying, "Boy, if I could find a way to invest in some of these new chip companies, you know, I would." I don't know. Uh, 
you know, I, but then it's, it's a billions of dollars to get a chip company together. It's not like you can do that in your in your garage, for God's sake. Well, you know, the, the models that the companies used to have, you know, for what they would do in a time of expansion when they added staff or they leased more office space or, you know, modernized a plant or something, and, you know, they could look, look forward to, you know, adjusting to a whole new consumption pattern with their customer base and everything else. I just don't think those models have settled down at all to what they were, and maybe they never will. I mean, if a business today thought it could expand, I mean, you'd have to sort of stop and think, well, what what kind of business really sees very many opportunities for expansion? And if, if, if they did, what would that expansion look like? Would it mean that they would lease another couple floors of an office building? I don't think so. Would that they would build an office building somewhere? I don't. I don't think that's likely either. I, I just don't see how, you know, what what the expansion is, is going to look like and how it will kind of play out and what else happens in real estate and in infrastructure and everything else. I just I think people are, are scared stiff about the expansion because they don't know for sure that they've got a kind of climate where they can expect the public to be the, you know path to their door anymore so and I, 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 you probably hear more about this from from people in your end of the, of the you know the financial industries what what people see is you know the, the prospect for, for future growth but i'm just kind of stymied i don't i don't know what it looks like and i, I don't think we, we we're kind of prepared for this sort of unknown territory where we, we don't know what expansion is anymore and how it can really you know hurt or help other parts of, of the economy well it's not it's not it's seemingly like uh, it doesn't seem like it's it's internal, John. It's a it's a, you know I mean I, I the, the way the economic engine is supposed to work in a free society, which I think we are becoming less and less of, but still we're fairly close. But the whole idea is, and if you look at you know Russian history and trying to manage the entire market and the five year plan and all that stuff, how it it never worked, right? Because Governments are not quick enough to, to see a need, and they're not quick enough to try and fulfill it. I mean, the whole idea, you know, in, in our in our in our thing is is if if it's if it's pouring rain out, where can I go buy some ele- you know umbrellas and have, put a stand out on the street, right? Well, by the time that gets through Congress, it stopped raining, right? <laughs> I mean, at, at least uh, uh, so. You, the idea is to to see a need and to move for it. Well. That used to be, I'm not going to say relatively simple, but it was never, it, was, it always took people with foresight, took people with, with, with basically chutzpah that are willing to put themselves on the line and go get a loan, get money from a few people, start something going and say, hey, see, I told you that nobody had any 10-penny nails, and now I'm selling 10-penny nails, and I need to expand this place because now we're making 12-penny nails too. I mean, that's, that, that's the essence of the American system or, or, the, or the, the free economic system. Now a lot of it, Jan, is is stuff that used to be made here, then was made somewhere else, and now there's this lip service to we're bringing it back. Yet, if you listen to CNBC all day, all people are telling you to do is invest in China. So I don't know that I would have a uh, all that much confidence if I knew that this, these these ten generic drugs are being made in China and people are frowning on that. That I can somehow make those drugs here. Get the approvals. You know the inspections are going to be much harder here than they are in China. Uh, you know, so my cost of manufacture here, just because of 
not just the regulation, but I'll say the care and manufacture is much higher here, I would think. How do I know that next year they're going to say, eh, we don't, mind, we don't mind getting generic drugs from China after all? I mean, it's, it's a different, it's like, it's like government mandated. Should I be in this business? Should I not be? I, I would have real problems with committing, I mean, maybe I'd put my own dough in there, but I'd, be re- I'd have real problems putting your dough in there because there's questions there I really can't answer. And, and I don't, I don't want to be saying, yeah, John, give me you know a million bucks for this, but no, don't don't worry about China. Well, well, first of all, I've never been there. I don't know these people. How can I tell you to not worry about them? Don't don't worry about our government. We're not we're not going to go back to making generic drugs over there. I don't know that. If somebody finds a way to make them over there five cents cheaper, and he, and he puts fifty bucks into Biden or Trump or whoever the next president's going to be uh, down the road, I don't know if that guy's going to turn around and say, we well, that's okay. We'll, we'll 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 trade with China. No big deal. And how do I? I there's there's very little premium anymore on inventiveness or imagination, and you look at you know the, what, what's happened in the last five years, Tom. And the, the growth, such as it's been, has been in, in like intermediary sort of parasitic, you know, industries like DoorDash and yeah, yeah, <laughs> Uber. You know, things that, that all, they don't really create anything other than to make it easier for for people to sit around and pick up the phone and, and do things. That doesn't equate to any kind of growth in my book because we're not a wealthier nation because of that. That's for sure. It doesn't seem like anybody seems too concerned about it though either. So. Well, you, you count the, the five thousand Uber drivers in the city is a big boon. Wait a minute. Wait. A minute. We just lost five thousand cab drivers. It's a it's right. a net wash, right? right? It there's no zero sum game to me. I mean, this is, well, how are we better off? It, it isn't like the rates have gone down. It isn't like the consumer is better treated now for this. Um, but but this is you know what you're sort of describing. It's this path of, of least resistance, and shaving a few pennies off and, and doing it overseas is just as attractive or more attractive than it ever was. I don't think that's going to be going away anytime soon. The Chinese certainly understand that appeal, and they got enough people, you know, higher ups in the Commerce Department and in business and in Congress to make it happen in their favor. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's a, it's becoming very difficult to be an entrepreneur. Plus, uh, you know, if it comes to a business that somebody wants, if you and I want to buy it, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess our all in on our cost of capital is gonna be ten percent, easy, maybe more. Yet, if if uh, Pfizer wants to buy the the upcoming drug firm, they're gonna get their well, they were getting their, their rates at two and a half. Well, how the hell do I compete? Or if if I was the guy who put the Forest Labs was one of the first ones, if I you know did the I'm going to say I guess I'll I'll say I won't say legal, uh, not thought to be illegal, but to me very immoral, moving my thing my my thing uh, my uh, my business to the Bahamas or Ireland or some damn place to where I pay. Five percent taxes when the other people are paying thirty, and all of a sudden over the next ten years, I can outbid anybody for anything. Now, clearly the person who wasn't cheating—I use that term even though somebody would say, "Wait a minute, it's perfectly legal." Uh, it, it was found to not be illegal, and I refuse to believe those are ever synonymous, Jan. I mean, I just—you know—I mean, I know as an attorney, you might say they are, not but be taken, you know, mistaken for each other or inter- be interchangeable. Yeah, but they—but they are today. Yeah. Today's—they are in today's world. Uh, no, I don't, I don't, you know, the, the fact is, the people who either cheated or were more resourceful or, or saw the, or saw the, uh, the workaround 
or saw the hole in the law or whatever you want to call it, had massive advantages over people who played the game what they thought to be straight. And, and right now, every every single time, if somebody were to uh, ask me, what do you think about me getting getting in this business, my mind, all I would start thinking of is all the bad things that could happen to them that were government-related or regulatory-related, instead of saying, God, it sounds like a great business, go ahead. I mean, uh, all I would think of is the bad stuff, John. And I don't know, I didn't start out that way. Uh, somebody did that to me along the way. I mean, I doesn't mean I look at every glass that's halfway up and say it's half empty. I don't, but I, I used to think of only the good stuff, and now I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't think that way. It's a different world. Am I, am I just am I ready to get off planet Earth, or is that is that legit? Well, we've had a, you know a whole you know barrage of being beaten down with with these ideas, and you know your examples that have come up on the show so often about you know the baby formula of monopoly and why it is there are only two or three players in in every corner of of you know the economy that you can think of, and it's it's so unlikely that any kind of grassroots effort to you know, shatter some kind of business model in these areas, and somebody's going to get financing to take on these bigger companies. They'll be, you know, squashed like a bug early on in the game. They won't get past, you know, the first level of regulations or, or inquiries or anything else. They'll find some way of, of preventing that kind of competition. And, and this is where innovation the biggest hit. It, it isn't that, you know, there are smart people out there. But I, 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 I like to believe there are maybe more than ever. But there is no level playing field where a smart person gets an even break. So, well, I mean, it's, it, it may sound like uh, you know, if Mandy Weber was out there, he'd be playing the Andy Mayberry song. It may sound to most people that, that, I, that I that I look at you know a bygone era and say it was a good thing. I mean, everybody had I won't say a corner drugstore, but had a drugstore within basically walking distance of the house, right? And you had a, a pharmacist who went to all the pharmacy schools and maybe knew his clients. I'm not saying the pe- people in the neighborhood Walgreens don't. They do. Um, but you say to yourself, none of these people are here anymore. Now, you could say, yeah, nobody wants to work, nobody wants to do anything, but that's that's BS. I think people do want to work. Now, why why are there, I'll bet there, could there be 50 independent drugstores left in the city? If that. But I would say that your, your pharmacist, not the rest of the store, I mean, People that get their pop and their coffee and God knows what else. No Walgreens now, are the big vitamin. I don't I mean I, they have a huge advantage in that. But the actual pharmacy itself, it's still one or two guys. They're not any bigger than the ones used to be in the in the in the neighborhood ones, right? But now you look back and you say, okay, the state of Illinois, God love them, it went years where they paid for the Medicaid stuff, the prescriptions. They didn't pay these people for like a year. And we had our, my friend, uh, John Dyer, on, who knows more about that business than virtually anybody, because he's been in it since he was like 12. Uh, I think John was the youngest board member of Costco board. Not Costco, uh, Osco uh, board. Uh, but so he knows that business. And he would say that the generic stuff, uh, that you pay, well, I don't think you're paying $10 for anything anymore, but if, if you did... The, the drugstore might be getting that for five bucks and then making you know maybe fifty percent or hundred percent markup. But uh, one of the real hot drugs that cost you one hundred and fifty bucks, they're probably paying one thirty for it. it. They don't make hardly anything percentage wise on, on you know the old Lipitor, the old Viagra, the stuff that was before it came off uh, patent. But he says the the state might not pay him that money for like a year or yeah. more. So there's no way Ma and Pa 
can carry basically a multi-million dollar debt with a bank waiting for the state to pay. And uh, But Walgreens and CVS can because they can get that money for 2 or 3% and maybe more now at a bank. And oh, by the way, the, the state will probably pay you, what, 5 or something if they don't pay you right away. So, I mean, they actually can make money in a deal where the other person's getting buried in it. So, I mean, you look at all the... Now, if everyone... If it was just economies of scale, okay, I don't have a problem with the bigger company putting the smaller company out of business. If it's, if it's just fair, that because they had a drive-through and the other place didn't and everybody wants a drive-through nobody wants to walk anymore. If it's all that, John, you know what? I won't say it's progress, but it's, it's, moment, it's something. It's, it's moving to the new generation, and guess what? Things happen, you know. Nobody has a tube TV anymore because the other stuff's better. I get it. Uh, but if it, if it comes from the state not paying people on time, to me, that sucks. And, and, and whenever somebody talks about a new business now, the first thing I think of is how can the regulatory area or the state or some change in, we love China, uh, how can that put some person out of business out of something that they, they just put their heart and soul into? I mean, how can you think 30 years ahead now with the, with the policy changes? And, you know, and it's all I think about now when people talk about these places rather than... And yet I understand from my, my nephew, who I see every week or sometimes more, in the, in the metal servicing business now, when we're bringing some stuff back here, everybody calls these phone numbers, hey, can you... The part you made me a year ago, can you get me five more next week? And you go, how about like six months from now? Because there aren't enough of them around, and all of a sudden they're gagging. Now, it's going to take a while for them to send people to school, to train people. But how, how much, they're not all that happy to, they might make their place 50% bigger for the short term, but I guarantee you they're not buying new buildings and saying this is the future, and all of a sudden doubling their business by four and five times. They're just making you wait for your part. Right, right. And, and these inefficiencies are, are to some extent, uh, uh, you know, kind of controlled by people who you know have no particular interest in, in getting rid of these inefficiencies because they make certain parts of the economy more profitable to certain companies than to others. And, and the model you use of the pharmacists, I mean, I can see this throughout the dental industry now, the medical industry generally, certainly the hospital industry, where, you, you know, whatever problems people have in getting paid, whether it's from the state or, or insurance companies, it's the biggest ones that are able to survive and, and to tolerate these kind of inefficiencies that are almost encouraged in the marketplace now. And, of course, that just drives the little person out of business entirely, or they they got to glomp onto the bigger one and hope to survive there, and you'll, you'll be a line pharmacist at Walgreens filling prescriptions that are being sent out in the mail. You never meet anybody at all except your co-workers. I mean, that's kind of the model, I think, now if you're going to be a pharmacist. Well, I mean, so, in, the, in the medical business, the doctor is the hired help now. Right. They're all employees of the yeah. field. They have no discretion about w- what they could do. They're, they're, I mean, it's like working for a really bad law firm to me. you got to bill all your hours and account for it. And you know, time when you're talking to somebody is time ill-spent. you got to be doing something else besides be, being socially connected to your, you know, your, your patient. This doesn't cut it anymore in the medical field. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's a really bad law firm? One that makes a lot of money. Because <laughs> <laughs> the like, people making the money for the law firm are not getting the money, pretty much. They're, they're, all, they're all charitable attorneys. What are you talking about? <laughs> really, Everybody's pro bono in the legal field. <laughs> every, 
<laughs> really bad luck. So what, what do you make of this uh, market not being able to hang in there any of these days? Or Can we get a rally at some point this year, John, or what? I, you know, it, it's... I guess we need some better news on a couple fronts before we could expect it to become a routine thing. I mean, solving the mess in Washington or you know, moving from one gridlock story to another gridlock story or you know, changing what's happening in, in Ukraine to some kind of you know, narrative that, that makes sense that we don't just keep slaughtering people. Well, you need <laughs> to get people rooting for, for different sides, but it isn't like there's, it seems like there's any hope of resolving that anytime soon, well, unfortunately. We need people that make five bucks this year to be able to make seven bucks next year legit. And that, I mean, that's, that's, we're going to go back to basics. And I, hopefully we can do that instead of just pouring money in the top and say, look, we're making 10 this year. Yeah, but you sold less than half of your stuff. I mean, it's, so I, th- I think we can get there, but we're a ways away. I mean, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of these stocks, Jan. First of all, they're they're surely not as bad a buy as they were six months ago, are they? Oh, <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, right here, I think some of them are defensible. Plus, I think some good stocks are going down. We're going to start talking about those uh, on a daily basis. Some areas that we th- that we think might be uh, good areas, uh, Jan. We will have you on. Hey, you get to come back in your money Monday slot. No holiday. Oh yeah, I'll have to brush up on my alarm clock skills, you know. <laughs> well, you're, you're you're then in a couple of weeks we got Martin Luther King. I got Day. lazy the last two weeks. Though. Yeah, well then you're off again Martin Luther King Day. It's another right. two weeks out. Anyway, SP Monday just a killer life. I'll say. SP Futures down twenty four, and as if he was down seventy six. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. You're still here. It's over. Go home. Go. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.